All right, turn with me over to the book of Isaiah. I'm going to con help continue the series <clears throat> that we've started. Uh, last week we talked about hope being here. Uh, Christmas, today we're going to talk about mercy being here. And we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, and then jump to verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, 1 through 3, and then jump to verse 6. Reading from the New American Standard Bible. Isaiah says, but there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious. By the way of sea, on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Verse 3, you shall multiply the nation, you shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as, with, as when men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Lord, help us as we study your word. Amen. Two points in this message I want to make to you. One, how judgment is abated. Two, how darkness is overcome. Isaiah is prophesying, and, and because Isaiah had such a long ministry, very long ministry, somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 years, when he's prophesying about events, you're not quite sure sometimes, if you don't read real carefully, whether he's living it or whether he's prophesying about it. In the prior chapter, he's speaking of Israel. Now, you need to understand the context in which he's speaking. There's a southern kingdom called Judah, and there's a northern kingdom called Israel. Israel itself as a nation was split after the reign of Solomon. His son Rehoboam didn't make some very good decisions, and it caused people to leave. Ten tribes went to the north. They established their own kingdom, their own king, their own worship rites. They didn't come down to Jerusalem to worship. They weren't encouraged to. In fact, the king, Jeroboam, who set up his kingdom there, made a golden calf to encourage the people to stay there so they wouldn't come back to the, to the temple and worship. Bad stuff happened in the north. There was never a good king. They had a lot more prophets than we did and much more powerful prophets we, Judah did, much more powerful prophets in the north. And generally speaking, when people are further away, they need more things to get their attention. And these people were further away from God, and so the Lord used dynamic prophets like Isaiah, excuse me, Elijah and Elisha. Those kinds of prophets were not found in the south in Judah. You had word prophets. You had prophets that would write. But in the north, signs and wonders all the time, just outstanding. And it's not that the south didn't have signs and wonders, but not to the order of Elisha and Elijah, just stunning. The north was messed up. Chapter 8 is all about what would happen to the north as a result of their disobedience. Assyria, another nation, would come and overtake them. And the result would be all the people in the northern kingdom would be dispersed to the four corners of the earth. There would never be another nation called Israel in the north. Gone forever until 1948. Here we have now Isaiah, a southern prophet, talking about what's happening or will happen in the north. And he's saying Assyria's coming and they're going to disperse you. It's going to be real bad. Judgment is coming because you haven't obeyed. But chapter 9 comes. People who live in gloom and have been in darkness, I am going to do something for you. Whereby you have experienced judgment, I'm not done. And any time God gives you the consequences for your 
for your disobedience, your misdeeds, please remember this. He's not done. He loves mercy. That's, that's the thing that motivates him. He leads with mercy. He does not want to give you judgment. Judgment, perfect judgment, wipes you out. And he cares about you. You're made in his image, and he's doing everything he possibly can to bring you into the purpose for which you've been created and that which can glorify him. Why would he want to extinguish your life? It's counterproductive to his purposes. The only reason that does happen is because he's got no better choice. So if you are still breathing, which you are, you wouldn't be here, you need to understand God's mercy is following you trying to catch up with you, is in front of you, behind you, covering you. His mercy is for you. Oh, land of Zebulun. Zebulun happened to be the northern part, the northern, north, <laughs> the northern, northern part of North Israel. Highest up there. And people thought that people in the northern part of Israel surely weren't very religious because the further you lived away from, from Jerusalem, which was the, the center of worship, uh, why would you do that? Uh, don't, don't you want to worship regularly? You can't come down here every week. And so everybody thought they were less than. And surely that the Messiah, when he came, would concentrate on Judah, which was in the south, in Jerusalem. And indeed, he was born there. But God is saying this, I want you to know, in the days when Zebulun has suffered so, I'm going to send mercy to her. Now, Jesus was not born in, in Galilee. Galilee happens to be the region of Zebulun. He was born in Bethlehem, but that's where he lived. That northern part of the kingdom, Galilee, got Jesus for like 30 years, 28, 30 years. That's pretty nice. Great things happened. The problem is sometimes people don't like perfect. <laughs> Samuel, the best prophet and judge, arguably, who has ever been. Now, why do I say that when you've got Moses and Joshua and others? Well, because there is no recorded sin of Samuel, not one. And we have his entire life. So God could have inserted whatever this dude did wrong. He chose not to. But we know all of Moses' mess-ups. <laughs> we know Joshua's mess-ups. We know Peter's mess-ups. We don't know a thing about Samuel. So we can say, objectively, the scripture describes him as the best leader that has ever been for Israel. And they, Israel came to him and said this. This is when they were one nation now, not two, before kings. They said, we don't want you, we want a king. You don't like perfect? You, 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 you have a problem with really good? Adam and Eve in the garden, perfect. Perfect. You know God doesn't really like you. In fact, he's kind of envious of you. He thinks that if you eat from this tree, that he's going to have competition. He don't want that. Go ahead and try it. You will come into your new place of self-actualization. They ate. Perfect wasn't good enough. You beg God for that job. You, you, you so wanted to be married. A year later, you're saying to yourself, I want a new job and a new wife. (laughs) 
hard for us to be satisfied. But God, God understands the psyche of human beings. He understands that our souls are cracked and messed up. And he wants to apply mercy as a balm of healing that might invite us into his presence more readily. That we would access his, his, his personhood and his power so that we could be healed and do more for him and be better off. And so he allows grace and mercy to be that which he extends that we might come into his presence in Hebrews and find help in time of need. If he wanted to judge us, he could have done it. And even in the midst of our judgment, there is mercy because, again, you are still breathing. Adam and Eve did the wrong thing. They ate from the tree of which they were not to eat. God came to them, and they, 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 they had problems now. I mean, serious problems, serious. Told Adam, you, you're going to eat now from the sweat of your brow. That's how it's going to happen, and you're going to have to work really hard. He worked in the garden. There, there was still labor. But he didn't have to sweat to do it. It was all easy. When he got out, he said, you're going to walk by the sweat of your brow. It's going to be really hard. And, and that which you produce is going to be thorns and thistles to you. We're still trying to figure out how to not eat thorns and thistles. Now, when I, when I say that, I don't think anybody's having to resort to, to weeds and, and, and bushes. But God was trying to convey the difference between Eden and what he was going to produce. Eden was perfect. We have no idea what perfect food is. We're eating thorns and thistles. Why do you think you are tempted if you don't go to Whole Foods? <laughs> you sit there and look at the pretty advertisement, Whole Foods, and you think, boy, that's got to be a nice place to shop. I ain't got the money because it's really whole check. But it... <laughs> Nice. They seem to have really healthy food there. Why, do we, why are we like that? Because we are desperately trying to put stuff in our body that doesn't hurt us. Organic, non-GMO, legacy seeds, <laughs> gluten-free. You have so many requirements. We can't eat food. We're allergic to everything. If we're not allergic, we're intolerant. It's just, it's <laughs> we're living in Adam's curse. It's Adam's curse. To Eve, he said, it's going to be hard for you to bear children. And your desire is going to be for your husband. Now, the word desire there is, is, is not what all husbands wish it would be. I don't think I've ever got an amen on that point, but I like you. You're going to hang around me now. You've got to come to both services on Sunday morning. It's not. What it means is this. You will be like a lion crouching down ready to jump on your prey. That's what that means. Why? Because the man now was designated to be the leader in the household. Hear me. When you have perfect in the garden, why do you need leadership? Everybody always makes great decisions. You don't need leadership. You could dialogue together about what's best, but you don't need somebody to tell you what to do when you got perfect. Now you don't have perfect, you can make some bad decisions. So leadership had to be given to the house. And it's not because man was most competent. It's just somebody had to do it. That's all it was. It was just somebody. And if we choose women to be the leader, all you're choosing is a different version of incompetence. 
Whatever it's going to be, it's going to be bad. And this is not just that which applies to a woman. It's that which applies to all leadership structures. Meaning, when you have somebody over you who has to tell you what to do while you're trying to do what you're doing, you feel like, I want your job, bro. I don't like the fact that you're telling me what to do. What is that? Crouching like a lion that is trying to get his prey. Meaning, you want that, that position. And forever, a woman is going to be figuring out, I don't have to listen to you. I know you. I know how mistake-ridden you are. You think I'm going to follow you every day of my life? What you do is you, you shoot holes in your own boat. Because now there's no leadership in the house. Sometimes bad leadership is better than none. Sometimes. God added to the equation is the third strand that keeps the cord strong. And this is why his presence is so important in marriage. That's from Ecclesiastes, by the way. They were, they were judged. Adam and Eve were judged. They had consequences as a result of their misdeeds. But they didn't have graves. God didn't, didn't put them in the ground. They should have been, but he didn't do it. Mercy was in the midst of the judgment. God is always leading with mercy. He doesn't want to judge anybody. And every day you ought to be like, like, like Jeremiah in Lamentations. Judgment was coming to his people. He knew it. Now this Assyria had, had attacked Israel 150 years earlier. Uh, 130 years earlier. It, it was bad. But now judgment was coming to Judah because they had departed from God's ways. And Jeremiah knew it, and there was nothing anybody could do, it could, in Judah could do about it. It was coming. And judgment came, and he wrote Lamentations. Lamentations is exactly what it means. He's crying the entire time he's writing, just weeping over his people and what they've done. In the midst of the judgment, he says in Lamentations 3, but I get to wake up every morning to your mercies. They're new. I'm still breathing. I have an opportunity to serve you well. I have an opportunity to be what I need to be to everybody around me. I can make you happy today, even in the midst of the difficulty. As judgment came, and I mean, it was a hard judgment. The entire city was destroyed. People were taken off into captivity. Some people died. But Jeremiah realized, even in the midst of the difficulty, I can find God's mercy. If you are still breathing, it's because of his mercy. You may not like your circumstances, but I beg you, don't blame him for them. Did you hear me? Listen, if you ever start getting mad at God because of what you're going through, please understand he's the one that's strengthening you to go through it. And it's not really wise to accuse and slander the one who's trying to help you. There are three things that you can attribute bad to through whatever you're going. The enemy, somebody else who doesn't like you, and you. A combination of those three, or two, or one, that's the only reason you're going through difficulty. Now, you, you can use somebody else and just blame Adam, blame Eve. I mean, they, they started all this. But we accentuated it through our disobedience. So we haven't been very helpful. But you can't ever blame God. Ever. His mercy is new. And he says to the land of Zebulun, which happened to be right up there 
in Galilee. He said, I'm going I'm to take your gloom and throw it away. I, I'm, I'm just going to make it go bye-bye. And everything that you've been through now in judgment, I'm going to bring you out. Judgment is abated. And not just destroying the gloom. And gloom, I guess for us, would be described kind of as a cloud that hangs over your head. A, a depressive state out of which you cannot get. A despondency, a discouragement. And I would imagine somewhere between 50 to 75% of the people in here struggle with that, if not have serious issues. And if you've got a counselor out there who's helping you, please listen to him. If you've got a psychiatrist who has prescribed things, take your medication. But do not ignore the Word of God. Apply it to your life. I did not come out of the womb with a Bible. There's nothing about my life growing up would ever make you think I'd be here. But I'm here only by the grace of God. Only by the grace of God. And I struggle with the same stuff y'all struggle with. Is tomorrow going to be more, more, more scary than today? Are bad things going to happen? Am I going to encounter obstacles I can't overcome? Is, is, is something going to, to, to rack my soul that's going to make me have to pray and fast now? I struggle with those things. Sometimes fear lives at my front door. And I got to pray all the time. But it's not just crying out to God saying, help. I'm confessing my scriptures while I pray. I'm taking what God told Joshua when Joshua was trying to fill some big shoes. Moses, those are big shoes now. The best, the best leader who could bring people out and bring people in. Samuel was the one who managed. But this man brought a whole nation out of a nation and then created a nation. Whoo! Stunning. That's not me. Hallelujah. <laughs> Yes, sirree. I learned my lesson. That's right. <laughs> Moses, where was I? Bring him out, bring him in. I don't know where I was. <laughs> huh? Huh? Created nation. It's not helping. It's not helping. <laughs> uh, so Joshua had some big shoes to fill. He was, he was scared not of the enemy because Joshua was the military leader for the nation. He wasn't scared to go into battle. He'd fought Moab. He'd fought Midian. He was the guy in charge. He was the, the five-star general. That wasn't the issue. The issue is, how in the world am I going to be that dude? I mean, he parted Red Seas. He brought water from rocks. He could throw a stick in a bitter pond. It would become sweet. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just a military guy. God told him. In four or five verses, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For as I was with him, I will be with you. Encouraged him for four or five. When you need four or five verses to be encouraged by God, that means you got issues on the inside. And God knows what they are. I take those passages, put them down in here. 
I don't just allow fear to camp out where it is. No, I am not going to submit to that today. I know my God is with me, and if he's with me, we're not only going to overcome fear, we're going to overcome the thing that the fear is here for, to stop me from moving forward. I live there. Gloom. You've got to use your Bible and your promises to help you progress, not just manage. And medication and everything else, counseling, helps you manage. Necessary at times. But there is no more important implement to apply to your life than the word of Almighty God. You, in fact, you need, to read, you need to read Romans chapter 8, like, all the time. It, 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 it's the chapter of victory in the epistles. Starts off with people who feel like, and, and in chapter 7, Paul detail, details his issues. Says, wretched man that I am, who can set me free from this body of death? I, 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 the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I do, I shouldn't do. I, I, I'm just a messed up human being. Thanks be to God who has sent his son to die for me. And then he says in Romans chapter 8, there is no more condemnation. Who do you think he's talking to? He's talking to himself, but we're all benefiting. There's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the spirit of the law of life has set me free from the law of death. And then it goes on and talks about more victory. If he's for you, who can be against you? Ah, you don't know what that means. The only one who can accuse you righteously of wrongdoing is God Almighty. It's not the devil. All he can do is state his case, but he's not the one who can convict. Are you listening to me? The only one who can convict is the one who you offended. And the one whom you offended is forgiven you. So, if he is for you, where's the accuser? Oh, Romans 8 is just full of victory. I meditate in Romans 8. God, you're for me. You are with me. This is great. No more gloom. And light will be the ordinary. God will do some things that allow for his glory to come. It's not just removing the gloom. It's the light of his glory. His glory represents the, 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 the idea of his presence being there. That's, that's the evidence that he is with you, at least one of them. There are a number of them, but his glory is definitely one. If his glory is with you, then his presence is with you. And so he's not only removing the gloom, he's adding his presence He's adding the affirmation that everybody else needs to see that he is here through you. Oh, that is so good, y'all. This is what God is doing to people who have felt judged, who have been judged, who did wrong. They are now receiving mercy. And when we think about Christmas, I beg you, go beyond all of the trappings of the holiday and say, Lord, this really represents your mercy to me. You could let me die in my sin, but you chose not to. It would be right if you did, but you chose writer. And you chose to bring somebody who could take my sin away and his judgment. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your mercy. Because you took my punishment. You took my pain. You took my gloom. So I didn't have to. God is in the business of granting mercy. Lastly, darkness is overcome. You know, darkness is... Is, is not good. 
Um, it, 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 I, I'm, I'm not describing it well. It's not good for people to live in darkness. Darkness is one of those things through which we go that amplifies our ability to sleep. Because it's hard to sleep during the day. And sleep is necessary. I don't know why, except that if we were awake all the time, we'd make the world worse. <laughs> God said, I can't let them. I can't. I can't, I can't. They're going to mess it up badly. It's going to be so accentuated. I have to do so much more to try to fix it. And so one third of your life, you are horizontal and out, unconscious. You can't do bad. I don't know any other reason for sleep. I don't. I don't. I've, I've studied it. I've looked at scripture. I've, I've, I've looked at science. There's no good reason why we need to rest. None, except God said, rest. But when you have to live in it, not just sleep in it, when you have to walk around in it, dangerous. When you get up in the middle of the night going to the bathroom, do you sprint? I mean, you got to go, so you better run, right? Mm-mm-mm. You take your time. Phone right by you on your nightstand. Put that little flashlight thing on. Taking your way all the way to the bathroom. Walking in darkness is dangerous. You love your toes. <laughs> they are precious to you. He said, I will give them the ability to be ambulatory. They'll be able to walk with ease because I will light their path. Those who walk in darkness will see a great light. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. By the way, I'm staying in this passage next week because next week is joy is here. And verse 3 talks about joy. So study it all week long. Come ready and we'll be together in the passage. But he's saying those who walk in darkness are going to see a great light. Wow, that is so helpful to people who have only known darkness. So helpful. And this is what God wants to give you, illumination to your path. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't have that kind of insight. That light has not been given to me in order to see what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen next week. But I do know the will of God for me. I know what I'm supposed to do. And as a result of obedience, it allows me to stay on the pathway that I can see. Psalm 119, the word of God is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I know what the next step ought to be. I, I know to do that. And as a result, I stay on his path by being guided by the light of his word. And that allows me the privilege to get to my destiny faster rather than trying to grope around in the darkness. What am I supposed to do now? You need to get in your Bible every day of your life. Read. Thank you very much. I'm still that guy. Darkness is overcome. And light is, you get, not only, do, not only do you get to walk in light, you abide in it. That we get the sunlight on our lives. It helps us at least know what due north is. I'm not talking about directionally. I'm talking about our God on whom we need to focus. That we actually have our eyes opened to realize how good he is and how wonderful he is and how merciful he is. That we live in light all day long. And there are so many people who don't know it, but they live in darkness. 
the darkness in which they live, they consider good because they're able to do some things productively. But they don't know the purpose for which they've been placed on the planet. They don't know the higher calling. They're living below the level of mediocrity. And when the lights came on in your head, all of a sudden you realize, oh, I didn't even know that was wrong. I was supposed to be this. Oh, oh. And if you stayed on the path, you got better and better. And you realized why in the world it was important not just to walk in light, have direction, but to be in light, to live in light, abide in the light. God gives us the privilege of doing that. That's why people naturally want to go to the Bahamas. <laughs> they want to be on the beach and be in the Christmas allows us to understand something about his mercy, the gift that was given to us and his son. It's all mercy, all. He could have he squashed humanity and would have been right to do so. But instead, he took your place. Instead, he sent love. Instead, he took your whooping. There's no other God in the universe like this one. And we are privileged to be able to serve him well. Let's pray. Daddy, I love you. I thank you for your goodness. Help us as a people to do and be what we ought to be.